Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And we will be talking shortly with Charlene Vickness, who is with Language Directions, LLC. Very interesting company. When we get to that segment, I'll give you a kind of an idea of what Language Directions does. Uh, and before we jump into that, Lou, hello to the show. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm all rested. I presume you are rested up from our ISM annual conference in uh, Nashville, which was really terrific. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I would recommend to, you know, our audience to uh, look it up on Manufacturing Talk Radio. And there's, I believe, uh, 11 interviews that we've had with uh, some of the top, uh, the top players in the supply chain management world. Uh, so uh, I would, I'd strongly suggest, including including the mega, the mega star of Thirty Under Thirty, uh, right. who's an absolute charming Spitfire who's going to be a success no matter what she does. So that's where I've been at. So yeah, it was a gr- uh, it was a great show. Yeah, it really was, really was. Uh, uh, probably one of their best. Probably yeah, we enjoy doing it every year. That was our our fifth year. Yeah, maybe it had something to do with the fact that they gave us a bigger booth this year, a 10 by 20, so we were able to spread out. And we had a lot of people in the booth. Speaking of events, by the way, uh, UBM, which is an event company that does events all over the world, is putting on an event in advanced design and manufacturing at the Jacob Javits Center, June 12 through 14 in lovely New York City. This is the East Coast's largest advanced design and manufacturing event. So I suggest you go to mfgtalkradio.com. There is a banner there you can click on. It'll take you to a page that explains everything about the show. It shows all of the six... uh, organizations that help put this show together along with UBM should be a terrific event. So we're looking forward to that one June 12 through 18 at the Jacob Javits Convention Center. Looks like a good one, Lou. And also, if you go to that banner and click on it, you've got a shot at winning airplane tickets to get to the show. Only kidding, everybody, but really, go go to it, see what it's all about. I actually was at the show uh, last year, uh, quite fascinating, um, and uh, I highly uh, recommend it. So, Tim, take it away. So let's talk with Charlene Vickness, who is the president of Language Directions. It happens to be a full-service specialty language services and cultural competence training company. This should be some neat stuff, folks. Uh, talking about effective communication in business and industry, in military locations, and for individuals. Charlene, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, so, uh, Charlene, nice, I'm uh, going nice to have, have you, you again. 
I'm going to have you give uh, your elevator pitch for language directions, if you would. Well, we are in the understanding business because nothing can happen, whether at a manufacturing facility or any other facility, unless people can communicate well, understand each other well, to be able to increase productivity, reduce liability and risk, improve quality, increase worker safety. If we all talk to each other and understand one another and be able to address the needs of the populations that we serve. So Language Directions was founded almost 13 years ago with that goal in mind to be able to bridge gaps in language and cultural communications. You've been on this elevator before, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) I've been on this elevator for a while. And and every year in New Jersey, the need for this type of communication increases because we in New Jersey are and and in most industrial areas or across the country are a mosaic of cultures and everybody right. we may all be in this country or in a particular state but everybody brings his or her culture with them to the workplace and we all need to be so, aware of that so what what are the primary uh reasons that a, an employer uh would want to have his employees be well well versed and well-trained in their uh, local and business language. What, what are the, some of the benefits? Probably the biggest benefit is reducing risk. Errors won't happen when people understand one another. If someone says 50 pound, if they're saying 1-5 or 5-0, it's only a question of being able to understand or have the language skills to be able to ask the follow-up question if somebody asks. Do I to add? Somebody tells you to add a little water to the powder. Well, what's a little? Is it a is it a thimbleful? Is it a cupful? Is it a whole bucketful? If you don't have language skills to be able to ask that critical thinking, that that follow-up question, you wind up with mutual misunderstanding. Accidents happen, um, errors happen, and all of that costs an employer money. Do you have? Uh experiences where it wasn't so much a language but uh, an educational issue uh, where you were brought in to help with uh, you know people who are are, who are citizens and have been here a long time and speak the language that they the companies needed your type of service to help in the simplest of uh, language for understanding purposes for the reasons that you just mentioned A typical scenario for us is what I call bi-directional, where we will have American-born, or I should say native American English speakers that are managers, be learning basic and essential communication in the primary language of their workers so that they do not have to um, go through a translator, a peer translator. They can communicate directly. They can establish rapport. They can uh, issue important directions and terminology directly to their workers. And on the same, in the same level of training, usually it's the same instructor who is completely bilingual, is working with the non-primary English speakers to teach them basic and essential English technically appropriate for their job. It's not like going to college and, or going to high school or going to elementary school and learning English as a second language. It's technical, targeted, industry-specific English so that they can do their jobs better. The goal is working with the managers to understand 
let's say, Latino language and culture, and with the workers to better understand American English language and culture, there's more meeting in the middle, there's better rapport, there's better understanding, there's better communication, there's better efficiency, and better productivity. Does your uh, service apply primarily or to a great extent to the manufacturing sector? We have been working with the manufacturing sector through um, NJMEP for several years, mostly uh-huh. through their through their clients. And we do a vast range. We do um, have a whole rafter of bilingual training that we offer. We teach OSHA skills, personal protective equipment, uh, hazmat protect, all of the OSHA things. We teach it in English and in Spanish, primarily in Spanish because English is a commodity. You can get English OSHA training pretty much anywhere, but it's essential that people that are being trained in safety procedures are being trained in a language they understand so that they can ask questions, so that they are sure mm-hmm. of how to do things. Um, it's so interesting, Charlene. I think we have many, many instructors that, uh, that teach what they know, what their field of expertise is, but they can teach it in a second language to be able to go directly to the user of that information without an intermediary. Sure. You know, and because, you know, uh, we Americans didn't grow up in a multicultural or a multi-language society as many Europeans do, where they speak two or three languages, the megawatt winner at uh, ISM speaks six languages. I think there's a bias in America. Why don't they just learn English? I'm sure you've <laughs> run across that. Oh, yes. We hear your, that all the time. <laughs> well, well, most French of the time... The same attitude. Most of the time, these the workers French have, have the come same as adults. Attitude. <laughs> they, they've come as adults. They are working sometimes two jobs. When are they going to learn English? It used to be back in the day when our grandparents came that everything shut down at night. Everyone threw the blankets over the push cart and went to night school. Well, there are no more push carts. There are no more night schools. And people are working multiple jobs or going home to relieve a spouse, but that person can go out and get a job. So it is really very difficult. And anyone who has tried, any American who remembers their high school or college language class knows that it is no easy task to acquire a second language. And it requires a, a discipline that if you're out working and trying to put food on the table, it's very difficult to find the time to put that kind of time into it. Plus the fact that in New Jersey, 30% of the workers in New, of the people in New Jersey speak a language other than English at home, which means they're only speaking English on the job. And who are they going to ask for help? Certainly not their supervisor, certainly not their coworker, and then they're going back home and speaking their native language. So they're not getting the opportunity to improve their English. Do you, do you happen to know, uh, being that you're connected with uh, NJMEP, perhaps you would know this, of the manufacturing uh, employees in this state, do you know how many of them are uh, multilingual? I don't know a number to that, but I would say the number would probably be very high. Um, probably in New Jersey, the biggest bubble is Spanish, but I do know of many companies where the primary language is Gujarati or Portuguese or Vietnamese. It depends on the pocket of where in the state we are. You mentioned something uh, a few moments ago about the fact that there's no night school. Uh, I, when I went to school and went to uh, Queens College, I went to night school. 
Do they not have night school anymore? Well, I'm talking about adult education. Many of the adult education ah. schools, the inexpensive alternatives, are are yep. no longer operating. But it, it's more than just language. Um, it is. It is. If you take a subject, let's say, like sexual harassment prevention or workplace yeah. violence, you have to yeah. cross cultures. You have to cross cultures because what's acceptable in terms of personal distance, in terms of touching, in terms of all kinds of behaviors, is very different from culture to culture. So you're not just giving a bunch of trainings that are words, don't do this. You need to have people understand the why behind all of this, the unwantedness mm -hmm. and all of that. And you need to be able to cross cultures and build and have a trusting relationship with the, between the trainer and the trainee to be able to do that. It's interesting, Charlene. I really didn't look at this as a big issue for uh, business other than uh, uh, in my own bias maybe agriculture in California I know there's a lot of Hispanics in the United States uh, and I do remember my high school Spanish which I think I uh, survived and my high school <laughs> and my college French which I barely survived uh, neither of which I particularly enjoyed learning because back then which was more than a year ago um, I wondered, when am I going to ever use Spanish or French? And I'm now discovering that through this conversation, there are an awful lot of companies that have many, many employees who don't speak English as their primary language. Mm -hmm. And that's very true. And, of course, the, the Spanish for managers and supervisors that my company teaches is nowhere resembling the Spanish that I used to teach as a Spanish teacher or that I took as a student in Spanish in college or in, in high school. It is um, a 20-hour course of basic and essential Spanish, which Spanish is 100% phonetic, so you really don't have to know a lot to be able to pronounce it correctly and have somebody that speaks Spanish understand it. It's not about learning the Spanish language. You can't learn the Spanish language in 20 hours. Anyone knows that. But what you can learn in 20 training hours or 24 training hours, short term, is how to communicate directly basic and essential information to people that speak Spanish. And that's a world of difference. No conjugation. Clearly. No one cares. No one cares about whether your verbs agree with your <laughs> adjectives and all of that stuff. It's can you be understood? Can you communicate what you want to the person who does not, is not a primary speaker of your primary language? Okay, so, and you had mentioned that Spanish, and I recall Spanish being a very tonal language, and that is certainly the case where the same word pronounced two different ways has two very different meanings. Um, what is the... Uh, activity within a manufacturer, Charlene, in terms of adopting this? Is this uh, being, you know, is your firm pretty busy because there are a lot of manufacturers going, holy cow, we've got to get on top of this? Or is it still well, kind of an uphill battle? It, it's an uphill battle because people don't necessarily see that ultimately the bottom line is you're going to save money and if by doing some of this stuff now. Yes, it costs money to have training, but the increase in productivity, you have many people that are, uh, I call underemployed. They could be doing far more responsible jobs and be doing, producing more for the company they work for. It's what's holding them back is not their skill and it's not their work ethic. It's not anything but the fact that they might have some language challenges. 
And it's very easy to overcome those challenges with paying a little attention to them because you're very eager learners on the other side of the equation. One of the th- topics, uh, Charlene, that uh, Tim and I talk a, a lot about is uh, the skill gap and the problems with the skill gap here in this country. And I would think that manufacturers in particular uh, would accept the fact that there are multiple areas today that they could be drawing from to improve their uh, their particular situation on, on not enough em- employees, and that includes uh, women in manufacturing, which we happen to have another show called uh, Women and Manufacturing. Um, and uh, like during the Second World War, there were three million women that went to work in the factory. So here's the same situation. How many people do we have in this country that could learn more of a uh, language to get themselves a better job, better responsibility, more money, and the employer is perhaps solving a major problem that manufacturers are happening that have today in the fact that they don't have enough employees. Mm-hmm. So I wish there I, were more people. Uh, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. I say I wish there were more people that were aware that it that it's really not a major undertaking to be able to reach across a language and cultural barrier. And it's in in healthcare field there are certificates that are being uh, offered in in some colleges on. Uh, Spanish for healthcare, for example. It's the same type right. of thing as I'm talking about Spanish for supervisors and manufacturers. It is the short term solution to communicate directly with people that speak another language. And if it, it's, if the desire is there to communicate, it is not difficult. It, it can be actually very enlightening to learn more about another culture, why someone does that. Cultural, cultural things having nothing to do with language respect issues, someone who is looking down because they think they're showing respect to a supervisor, and that very same supervisor is thinking, what is this person hiding from me? They can't even look me in the eye. So you have huge cultural disconnects that education can solve, and it's short-term education. It's, it's you know, cultural competency is, is a day of training. It is not weeks and weeks and weeks of training. It's an awareness, and it, it transcends language. It's all about what everyone is because employees want to be a part of the entity. Most of these cultures, they are group cultures. They consider their place of employment, their home away from home. And they want to be able to communicate and they certainly want to be able to stay safe. Is the training programs uh, primarily funded by the companies and organizations or is uh, is the government involved, state and federal government at all involved in helping to support programs like this? Right now, our biggest challenge is we have been, um, since we've been doing this, have been primarily funded. Again, through MJMEP, we'll get training grants through Department of La- New Jersey Department of La- Labor and Workforce Development. Those sources right. are getting smaller, and um, it's a question of of attempting to make employers understand that it is a worthwhile expense to consider on your own if you cannot get funding because the payoff is in lack of accidents on the job, better efficiency, less batches being thrown out because they weren't done right. 
so that it's it's a trade-off. It's just a different way of looking at the money that that they're spending. But right now, um, the most of the training that we're doing is partially fund is funded probably mostly by Department of Labor and Workforce Development because that is what the manufacturing sector is looking for. Well, Charlene, you bring up an interesting point about manufacturers and other companies as well, other businesses who have workers who could be contributing more because they have the skills but they don't have the language. Correct. Uh, a couple of questions I want to explore with you. Uh, one is you know, building better interpersonal communication through better speaking habits. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm always aware, because I'm on the radio, of my speaking habits and my pronunciation and enunciation. Is that what we're, you're talking about here, or is there another aspect? That's a part of it. The biggest thing that anyone can do to improve communication, especially with someone who is a primary speaker of another language, is, speed, is to reduce the speed. In which, at which they speak. Um, I'm constantly aware of slowing my own speech down when I'm speaking to someone that I know is translating in their heads. You have to give them time to hear mm, where one word right. ends and the next word begins. You also need to be aware of staying away from slang and jargon that someone who is not born in New Jersey or the U.S. would understand. If you tell someone that you hit that out that proposal out of the park, you really hit a home run with that, to somebody who's from South Africa and plays cricket, they may not understand your, your <laughs> analogy. So we right. as Americans speak with idioms all the time, and I'm most aware of it when I'm speaking with somebody who is a foreign-born speaker of American English, and I see their eyes glaze over if I say something that I know has referred to something that they have no clue. It may be an American historical reference. It may be a sports analogy. It may be any number of things, and they don't understand it. So one of the things when we work with um, American-born speakers of English when that have employee populations that are foreign language-based, to, to speak in, with words that are in a dictionary, because many people have learned English in an academic setting in another country, and they want a place where they can look it up what you're saying. If you're using expressions and idioms all the time, they have no clue what you're saying, and pride will prevent them from asking, especially to a supervisor, what do you mean? They'll guess, and that's never good. Tim has done really very well since he moved from Wisconsin and went through (laughs) your training program. He's really picked up the language very well. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Going back a point, when we were talking about uh, safety and health issues uh, on the job, and uh, in in one of your uh, papers, uh, I see you mentioned the fact that Hispanic workers Back going back 10, 12 years ago, uh, 50% of the Hispanics that would be injured on the job uh, had uh, higher death rates. Um, that's an amazing, amazing number. It's, it's not, I'm not a, a safety expert, but it's, pro, it's a combination of poor training, poor equipment, right. um, 
lack of attention to knowing they don't understand, they're not asking, they're happy to get the job, and they don't know to ask for protective equipment. They're never taught how to use protective equipment. The, and they're taught many times by pushing them into an English class for OSHA training. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I have a degree in Spanish, and it's my second language, and I have taught Spanish. However, I would not want to train an OSHA in Spanish because if I'm lucky, I'll get 50% of it. I don't know that type of vocabulary. I can't mm-hmm. absorb technical information at that rate of speed, and neither can they. And if it's online, there's so much online now, which is, I always chuckle at that because many of the Spanish-speaking workers in this country are not literate in Spanish. They speak it. They don't read it. Mm. They maybe have come here after, before. They, they were not educated in their own country in Spanish. They came here, and then they were maybe not educated. They were too old to be educated in English. So they have difficulty with literacy. So when they only means to safety information that they have is through um, posters and English language things, they're not able to understand. They're not able to read. That's how I got sure. radicalized to this. I, I worked with somebody many years ago <laughs> when I was young that had lost a hand because he was very smart and talked himself into a good job. And at that time, they had no um, schematic drawings on the wall. He was unable to read safety instructions that were posted near his machine, and he lost his hand. And that's when, when I was very young, I said, something is not right here. Wow. That's, uh, that's uh, quite a story. So getting to the nuts and bolts of um, language direction in terms of you helping companies, uh, how do you go about uh, getting your clients how do you do the training? Is it on-site? Is it at a off-site location? Is it daytime, nighttime? Tell us as if we were talking to you about okay. your services. It's pretty much any time, any place. Most of our training is on-site because it's important for the work of the person being trained to be to be comfortable, maybe to be able to utilize things in their workplace as, as hands-on. Uh, mm-hmm. When we do OSHA training, we bring in the personal protective equipment and show them how to put it on. If it's uh, something with forklifts, there has to be a forklift there, uh, and we don't ha- we would have one in a, in a training room. Well, we, that being said, smaller companies that may have only one or two people that need training, we can put together a class in an outside location. We have a conference room here in our location, but we will send an an a qualified trainer to just about anywhere speaking any language that's necessary. So how are the uh, companies um, either going into this and finding out all the ins and outs and the costs involved and the time it takes? Do you get uh, much pushback or are you finding that you're getting a lot of cooperation from people who desperately need your help? Sometimes we get a lot of cooperation after something has happened or someone is going after a contract and they can't get the contract unless everybody is trained in OSHA. That's when we get mm-hmm. those kind of calls. Um, right. I, I can't say that people are necessarily foresighted enough to say, yeah, we should do this unless they have a compelling reason. That's unfortunate because sometimes when the horse is out of the stable, that's when they want to close the barn door. But, mm-hmm. um, 
and and that is unfortunate because so much could be prevented in terms of um, property loss, in terms of financial loss, in terms of lots of things with a little bit of, of foresight and training. Carolina, I'm uh, curious about um, communicating by telephone. Lou is a master telephone communicator. Uh, uh, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Um, it's certainly different when you're dealing across cultures and you're not in eye contact with the other party in terms of awareness. What kind of best practices do you recommend, Charlene? Exactly. I, I spoke to a group, uh, I speak to expats a lot, and I speak to people that have these challenges that work on the phone. It, it, the, with the phone, you have a double challenge. You don't have eye contact, and you have, even to the best phone system, a certain amount of distortion, electronic distortion. When I when I speak or, or when I train people, when I used to do the training myself, I would give everybody a yellow elastic band to think about when you're driving and when you see a yellow light, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to slow down. So if you put a yellow elastic band on your wrist and you're on the phone, that you can snap it or look at it, and it's a reminder to slow your pace. 50% of understanding will be increased with a reduction in speed. That's probably the mm. best thing, best practice that anyone can do without any training. So you, you need just to come train my son. <laughs> <laughs> and no, she needs to come train one of my sons who speaks a sentence as if it were a single word. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it can be very yeah, that's probably the biggest understand. the biggest challenge with IT people, many of whom come from India, that they do speak a whole sentence as if it were one word. And even though it's we're all speaking English, it can be very difficult to understand because you don't hear where one word ends and the next word begins. Char uh, Charlene, I had a, a business meeting in India and uh there were twenty, thirty people there and uh, they were meeting was directed towards me and the gentleman who was leading the meeting uh, naturally spoke with uh, spoke English with a Indian accent and I had a translator next to me translating his English <laughs> into my English <laughs> well English people don't realize that English is as dialectic as Spanish people will say to me well what about Puerto Rican Spanish and Dominican Spanish and Argentinian Spanish and I will counter with what about Australian English and, and Indian English and Canadian English British English and even within our country someone from Boston doesn't speak the same as oh, someone yeah. from Georgia <laughs> you know or Wisconsin <laughs> I should say <laughs> Well, by the way, Tim is living in Atlanta now. Okay. Well, yeah. now we're, so we're very homogenized, you know. Yes. <laughs> I can remember when I was living in New Jersey and the UPS man came to our house and said to my wife, where's your Munster Dwog? And she said, huh? Where's your Munster Dwog? And she's going, and then she finally got it and said, oh, my monster dog because we have a large white dog, which in his joisy accent was a Munster dog. Well, when I when I went to college upstate New York, everyone made fun. I was from I was born in Brooklyn and raised on Long Island, sometimes called Long, Long Island. Island. Uh, 
and everybody <laughs> made fun of coffee and water and dog. And so I was my <laughs> own first accent reduction client because I didn't like being looked at like that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my oldest daughter uh, speaks like she speaks Long Island. <laughs> and you know, with anything, you get back into it. You can get right back into it in no time. But we talk, we talk to people oh, yeah. often about code switching, about um, and, and again, even within a language, whether it's Spanish, English, anything, that how you speak to your friends is one thing. But when you work, walk through the door in your place of business, you turn a little switch on your head and you speak standard. You speak standard English or standard Spanish if the language of the company is Spanish. That you, um, it, it's a different way of speaking. You have to adapt yourself for your for the audience that you are with at each time. So you know, one of the stories I've just run across recently, Charlene, and I have to ask you this question because typically we're talking about the adult worker coming into the workforce. Mm-hmm. Toys R Us is having a terrible time surviving, and the toy industry is in awful upheaval because some of their key Uh, distribution outlet retail stores are shutting down and it's largely because the next generation of kids and Lou just ran across a couple at a restaurant that had a one-year-old and a two-year-old with their own iPhones Mm -hmm. aren't they don't relate to board games they don't relate to card games they don't relate to toys you know Barbie and Ken dolls uh, and everybody's kind of struggling with that what is happening in the other cultures uh, the Hispanic culture, in terms of their kids now using technology, is it becoming more difficult to communicate? I would think so. I I fear for a generation of people that sit next to each other on a couch and text one another instead of just turning their heads and speaking to one another, or you, instead of walking down the hall to another cubicle to ask a question, they pick they they text somebody or email somebody. Communication skills are so important, person to person. Your voice is what you want everyone to believe about you. Your voice is the most powerful instrument that you have. And that people, I, I, I'm concerned that communication skills and collaboration skills are going to suffer with um, too much reliance on electronics and um, technology. But that's just me. I, mean, I agree. <laughs> Oh, but no. I've seen I that. A lot. I've, too. I've seen that with my two granddaughters, 17 and 15, and they'll sit on the couch in the family room next to one another, mm-hmm. texting. It, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, and then I found yeah, out I've, also in terms of communication, and I only found this out a year ago, that they do not teach script anymore in school. No, they don't. That's I, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked when I heard that. You know, it's amazing. And it was. I wonder about that as well. Go ahead, Charlene. No, I was going to say, how if someone is going to major in history, how are we going to read historical documents? How are we going to read things that (laughs) were written longhand? If if nobody knows how to read script, is that going to be a requirement um, to be a history major? You have to take cursive writing 101. You know. Well, that, that's how the Egyptians did it. Uh, no one can read hieroglyphics to a great extent. They forgot their, their language, the written language of the time. So that's, uh, it's nothing new. We just forgot to remember the past. Yes. Those who uh, don't remember the past are doomed to repeat it. We're doing quite Correct. well. Charlene, thank you. For, 
thank you for joining us. This is a fascinating discussion. We could go on with this for another half an hour, I'm sure. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for being with us. Well, it was a let's, pleasure. Let's get her, let's get her um, URL in here so people know how to reach out and uh, talk to her about her services directly. Okay, that's www.languagedirections.com. It was a pleasure, and as you can can tell, I am passionate about the need for people to communicate across cultures, remove language barriers and cultural barriers for the greater good for everybody. Everybody wins. We got it, and I I see beyond that, and we will even uh, pass your name along to some of the people that we hear that are having uh, skill gap issues, and some of them because of... Um, uh, immigrants that they have uh, working for them and have those same kind of problems. So thank you for being on our show, and uh, thanks again. Thank you very much, Lou and Tom. Have a good day. Okay. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. And we've been talking with Charlene Vickness, who is with Language Directions here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Again, you can find information about language directions at www.languagedirections.com Lou, interesting discussion very interesting yeah yeah should i call you tom now or or just tim yeah <laughs> <laughs> no t- tim's fine i might not answer to tom i'll have that deer in the headlights look. <laughs> okay okay yeah great great conversation and uh, truly uh for those who are listening um this works and uh, it may even help you with your uh, liability insurance premiums if you institute a um, multilingual OSHA program. So you might want to talk to your insurance brokers about that and save yourself at least some of the money that you're paying out for some of the training, which I don't know how much it costs, but I would presume that uh, um, uh, there might be some savings there for you. So that being said, uh, good show. Uh, WAM, Women and Manufacturing. Uh, it's women, A-N-D-M-F-G.com. Uh, we have five fabulous uh, accomplished women who interview other accomplished women. Uh, we've, that show's been on since uh, November uh, 2017 and is growing at a four times faster rate than AMFG was at the same time and place back four years ago. So um, either that or we're getting better at what we're doing, something like that. Uh, (laughs) Tom, Tom, it was uh, great talking to you again, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you. Good to chat with you, Lou. Always a joy. And by the way, for any of you who are interested in our shows, they are all at mfgtalkradio.com. Again, check out the UBM event coming up at the Jacob Javits Center. And thanks again for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.